Please pray with me as we prepare to open God's word together. Father, we thank you for who you are. We confess that you are an incredible God, an amazing God. Who you are is so far beyond our comprehension. Yet when we get little glimpses of who you are, it excites us. Father, I pray that you would teach us by your word today so that we would again get a little glimpse of who you are and what you've done so that we may respond with hearts turned toward you. We pray this in the name of your Son and asking for the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we're in the penultimate, the second to last uh, week in our sermon series, How to Build a Church That Lasts Forever. This has been our big vision series, and I realize that the title might seem a little bit uh, audacious, but it's intended to remind us that what we're dealing with here are matters of eternity. In other words, we're not here to just kind of play church and sort of come together on Sunday mornings and sort of do the the Christian thing or the churchy thing, but what we're dealing with truly matters. What what we're dealing with is of eternal significance. So in the past several weeks here, we've been setting our direction as a church. This is who God has called us to be and what God has called us to do. So who are we and, and what are we going to be? What are we going to do together? And really at the heart of that for us is the mission. It's, it's to make more and stronger disciples of Jesus Christ. Everything else that we do as a church flows out of that disciple-making mission. That's what we're here for. That's the bottom line. All of our energy is toward that goal, to make more and stronger disciples of Jesus. And I hope through this series that you have been uh, gaining a little bit of a glimpse of, of how God has positioned our church, how God has positioned us at, at Trinity Evangelical Free Church to make an eternal impact in our time, in our community. And I, I have to say, this is, to me at least, this is really lofty stuff. And I, I don't know if it's worked to excite you, but, but I'm really uh, inspired to hear Jesus call to these churches and to hear what, he is, what it means to live a life in obedience to him. I mean, when I think about this title, How to Build a Church that Lasts Forever, that's what I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of building a church that, that lasts forever. I want to be a part of something that's eternally significant. And I hope you do too. But then you see the picture behind the words, and it's these ruins of some ancient Ephesus temple, and it's not a church, but, but there are churches that look like that, or churches that look worse than that. And then you think about the history of our own church. We've had some really good times, and we've had some times that have been a lot harder, some relational things that haven't really gone well, and, and we've kind of felt some of the wounds from some of those things. And then a computer catches fire during a service, like last week, and smoke is filling the sanctuary, and you're thinking, what on earth? I don't, I don't know. I don't know about this. And then every now and then, maybe there will be a little glitch, and a microphone won't work, or, or lights won't work, or something like that, or if we get a lot of rain in the basement, kind of get some water in it, and we think, I don't know, I don't know. And then you start to really lose heart when you realize, man, our pastors are really young. I don't know who hired these guys, but they are young. I mean, building a church that lasts forever, just, you, you think about all these things, that's just not feasible. I mean, we're not that good. But if we start to wonder about that, you know, this huge lofty goal, building a church that lasts forever, and then you look at how, you know, we're just, we don't have all the answers, we're not that strong, and you think, well, I don't know. 
Well, this message that we hear this morning from Jesus' uh, message to the church in Philadelphia, this is a big word of encouragement to a church that, that feels its own weakness. So we're, we're to, this morning we're in the, the sixth message to the churches uh, in Revelation 2 and 3. I invite you to turn uh, to Revelation 3 if you haven't done that already. This is found on page 1,217. So this is the message from Jesus to the church in Philadelphia. So it's found in three, chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, Revelation 3. And just a quick word up front. This is a message to the church in Philadelphia, but you know, obviously this is not the Philadelphia that's in Pennsylvania. It's the one that's in Asia, but, but not the Asia that includes India and China. This is the Asia that was first century province of Rome. So not that Asia, not that Philadelphia, but the Philadelphia that's in first century Asia. That's who this message is to. So first we're going to read the uh, message of Jesus, and then we'll look at it together. Now as we, uh, as we read, I invite you to stand as a, as a sign of the importance that we give to God's word. And then when I finish reading it, I want to uh, remind us that this is the word of God. So I'm going to say at the end, this is the word of God. And if you believe that, then I invite you to respond by, in, in thanksgiving by saying thanks be to God after that. So The message from Jesus to the church in Philadelphia. Revelation 3, verses 7 through 13. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So as we look at this message, we're going to learn one really big truth, and then we're going to see three promises that flow from that truth. So we learn the big truth in the very first verse, when we we look in verse 7 at who is Jesus? Who is the one that's proclaiming this message to the church in Philadelphia? Who is Jesus? It says, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. So when we're looking at who is Jesus, who is the one who's giving this message? Well, first of all, it's the Holy One. Now, that's a remarkable title, given the fact that in the Old Testament, that title, the Holy One, is reserved for Yahweh alone, the God who created the universe. Jesus is the Holy One. 
He's also the true one. So in, in the Greek mind, the true one would be about uh, authenticity. He's authentic. He's genuine. But in the Hebrew mind, it's more about faithfulness, truthfulness. But we don't have to distinguish between the two because both are true of Jesus and, and likely both were true uh, in, as what he was uh, saying about himself. He is the holy one. He is the true one. And he is the one who holds the key of David. Now, that might be a little bit more of a foreign concept to you, but in context here, it means that that Jesus is the one who has absolute control over God's kingdom. It means that Jesus has all the power when it comes to salvation and judgment. When he opens the door, no one else can shut it. When he shuts the door, no one else can open it. Jesus controls entry into God's kingdom, and his decisions are final. Now, so what's this saying about Jesus is that Jesus is the true Messiah who has God-given authority over God's kingdom. So the big truth that we learn right off the bat in the first verse here is that Jesus is the only one whose opinion matters. Jesus is the only one whose opinion matters. That's the big truth we learn right off the bat. And that means that belonging to Jesus is the most important thing in the whole world. If Jesus is the only one whose opinion really matters, if he's the one who controls salvation and judgment, then belonging to Jesus is the most important thing in the world. Jesus is ultimately the only one whose opinion matters. That the truth of this, that, that belonging to Jesus really is the most important thing in the world, that's demonstrated in this passage as we see three promises given to those who do belong to Jesus. So we're going to look at those now together. The, the first promise, the first of these promise, promises is that for those who belong to Jesus, no matter what anyone else might say, you belong in God's kingdom. Look at verses 8 and 9. Jesus says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. So Jesus, the one who is the holy one, the true one, the one that has the keys of David, who when he opens, no one can shut. When he shuts, no one can open. This one understands the church in Philadelphia. He knows their deeds. Here's the truth about the church in Philadelphia. They're not very strong. They have little strength. So that's one part, but even though they have little strength, the other part of what's true there is that they're holding fast to Jesus and they're holding on to his name. That's an incredible truth. It's a very important truth for the church in Philadelphia. They are not strong, and yet they're holding on to Jesus' name. But the most important thing, the most important truth about this church in Philadelphia is what's said right before that in verse 8. The most important truth is what Jesus says here. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. See, in the context of this passage, it means that Jesus has given them access to God's kingdom. He's opened the door for them. They belong to him, and therefore they have access to God, and no one can ever take that away from them. I mean, that's what, that's what it says when Jesus opens the door and no one can shut it. In light of that, this promise is incredible. It means that because they belong to Jesus, they have access to God, and no one can ever take that away from them. And that would be a timely encouragement for the church in Philadelphia, because it looks like they've just been kicked out of the Jewish synagogue. The city of Philadelphia probably had a sizable Jewish population, and for the most part, the church would be consisting of Jewish Christians. Most of the early Christians were Jewish. They were Jews who followed Jesus, Jewish Christians. 
And so it would have been very difficult for them to be kicked out of the Jewish synagogue. The Jewish synagogue leaders would have considered themselves the gatekeepers of God's people. So by kicking them out of the synagogue, they were effectively saying, you aren't part of God's covenant people anymore. You do not belong. You are not among God's people. But Jesus is saying that the opposite of that is actually true. Belonging to Jesus is what makes someone a part of the people of God. And so these Jews who are in the synagogue and they think they are God's faithful people, these Jews are going to find out that they're actually wrong. And in an ironic twist of Old Testament prophecy, these Jews are going to be the ones who are falling at the feet of those who follow Jesus as God's own people. So in Isaiah 60, there's this uh, this prophecy for God's people to the people of Israel. It's saying that the Gentiles, the people who are oppressing them, are going to come and fall at their knees. So in Isaiah 60, 14, it says, The children of your oppressors will come bowing before you. All who despise you will bow down at your feet and will call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. So the enemies of the Jews, the enemies of God's people, the Gentiles, are going to fall at the feet of God's people, the Jews. And an ironic twist of that, Jesus is saying that these Jews are only so-called Jews. They're not true Jews, and they are going to find themselves in the place of those who are God's enemies, actually bowing before the feet of those who are God's true people. In other words, those who belong to Jesus. Those who belong to Jesus, then, will be vindicated. So, for the church in Philadelphia, it doesn't matter that the, the Jewish synagogue has kicked them out and said, you don't belong to God's people. And it doesn't matter that they are this really weak little community and and the Jewish synagogue is thriving. It doesn't matter that they're looking weak. What really matters for the Christians in Philadelphia is that they belong to Jesus. Jesus has given them an open door and they are keeping his word and they are keeping his name. And in the end, Jesus will vindicate them because they are his people. They belong no matter what other people might say. There's a great story called uh, The Empty Pot that we have in a little uh, paperback version of. In the story, uh, there's an emperor, and he's looking for a successor. He doesn't have an heir to his throne, so he's going to go look through all his land and find someone who's worthy to follow in his step and to, to sit on the throne, to be the next emperor. So he gathers all the children of the whole kingdom, and he gives each of them a little flower seed, and he says, in one year, I want you to bring back your best to me. Plant this flower Plant this flower seed, grow a flower, and then come back in one year. I want to see your best. I want to see what you can do. He's going to let the flowers decide who's the next emperor. Now, one of the little boys who uh, receives his little seed is named Ping, and he's really excited because he is great with flowers. Anything he plants, it grows, it's beautiful, it thrives, it's fantastic. So he's excited. He goes and he finds a pot and he, he gets some really good soil and he puts it in there, he puts the seed in, he waters it, and he waits nothing happens, and he's kind of worried. This hasn't happened to him before. And so he gets a bigger pot, and he gets some really, really good soil, and he puts it in there, and he puts the seed in there, and he waters it, and he waits, and he waters it, and he waits, and he cares for it as best he knows, but, but nothing ever happens. And a whole year passes, and there he is with an empty pot. He's embarrassed. He's ashamed. Why can't I get something to grow out of this? But finally, the day to bring the flowers before the emperor arrives, and, and Ping is ashamed. He's humiliated. Here he is, this, this great horticulturalist. He knows how to grow flowers. He's great with flowers. And all these other kids are streaming by him with their beautiful big flowers in their pots, and they're looking at him and kind of laughing and pointing, saying, look at the kid with the empty pot. He doesn't know anything. And yet he brings his pot 
before the emperor. And the emperor is looking out across all these kids and sees these beautiful, beautiful flowers. And then suddenly his gaze stops on Ping. And he says, why did you bring an empty pot? And Ping is, you know, he starts crying. He says, I, I did the best I could. I planted it. I watered it. I, I did everything I knew to do, but it just, it didn't grow. This is my best. I couldn't get it to grow. And the emperor smiles for the first time. He'd been frowning this whole time. He's, he's a very gentle man, very kind. He loves flowers, so he should be beaming at all these flowers. But, but he was frowning through the whole thing. And finally he said, I have found the one. See, the seeds I gave you were baked. None of those seeds could have ever grown a flower. So I don't know where your flowers came from. I don't know where your seeds came from. But here is one who actually decided to stand true and bring me truly his best. So this little boy, whose offering was the most pitiful of all, the one who knew everyone else's eyes was a total failure, a laughingstock. That boy is vindicated before the only one whose opinion matters. You and I are weak people living in a hostile world. And it's easy for us to feel ashamed that we don't have more to bring to the table, ashamed that we don't have some sort of strength that we can offer to God and feel good about ourselves. We are weak, we are trembling, we're ashamed. But the big truth is that Jesus is the only one whose opinion really matters. And if you belong to him, it doesn't matter how weak you are because you are his. And that means that you have a place in God's kingdom. The most important truth about you, if you belong to Jesus, is that you have access to God in him. That's the first great truth. See, in this, in this life, in this world, we might never feel like we have a true home. We might never feel like we actually, truly, deeply belong. And yet Jesus is offering this incredible promise for those to belong, who belong to him. If you belong to Jesus, you have a place in God's kingdom. You have a true home, no matter what anyone else might say. It's the first great promise. The second promise is that no matter what happens... You are protected. Look at verse 10. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. So remember, the Christians in Philadelphia belong to Jesus. They have kept his command, and so Jesus is going to keep them. They have kept him, and so he is going to keep them from harm. No matter what happens, They are protected. They are safe in Jesus because they belong to him. Back in John 10, Jesus says that he is the good shepherd and he is not going to lose any one of his sheep. There is no one who can snatch sheep away from Jesus. Those who belong to him are kept in him. Now, Christians are going to certainly face times of oppression, and, and some Christians are actually going to be killed for their faith. Remember, there was a, the church in Smyrna. They are told, be faithful to the point of death. In other words, some of you are going to die. And yet, Satan cannot ultimately harm you because you belong to the one who died and who rose again. And because you belong to the one who has defeated the power of death, death has lost its sting for you. You don't have to go around being afraid of people who can kill your body because you belong to Jesus. And that means eternally, in him, you are safe. 
It also means here in the context that, that those who belong to Jesus are not going to experience God's punishment for sin. So this language about the hour of trial coming on the inhabitants of the earth, that's about God's punishment on the sinful world that the book of Revelation uh, talks about later on in, in other chapters. But those who belong to Jesus, they don't have to worry about that. God's punishment on sin for them has been taken care of on the cross. They have been forgiven. No matter what, those who belong to Jesus are protected. And of course, that means that if you belong to Jesus and if you are protected in him, you have to hold fast to him. That's the charge then in verse 11. Jesus says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. I mean, it's just simple logic, right? If you belong to Jesus, and if those who belong to Jesus are protected, well, then, of course, you have to hold fast to him. Of course, you have to remain in him in order to be protected. Now, I was thinking about this this week. You know, what, what's about the most frightening scenario I could come up with? And for me, I, I'm not a huge water guy. I like kayaking and, and things like that. I like Lake Michigan, but but when I get near the ocean, I get really, really nervous because there are these huge carnivorous animals there called sharks that are terrifying to me. And some people can go and scuba dive and, and be right there next to them, and they're fine with that. But for me, it's a terrifying thing to, to think about being in the water with a shark. It's about the worst situation I could imagine. But as it turns out, there's actually a way to do this relatively safely. They have these things called shark cages that they kind of put people in there and they put a, a scuba dive tank on them so they can breathe underwater and they, they dunk them down and they actually try to attract these great white sharks right there. They put a hunk of meat or something down there and they're hitting against the cage and all this stuff. And to me, I, that sounds terrifying. I never want to do that. But all the same, they're in this terrifying situation and yet they are protected. They're in a cage. As long as they can remember to keep breathing through that little tube and staying connected to the air, and as long as they keep their arms inside the cage, they're safe. Again, we are weak people, and we live in a hostile world. Sometimes things are going to look very frightening. It's going to be tempting for us sometimes to just curl up in a ball and hope the whole thing just goes away. And yet, for those who belong to Jesus, the promise is that Jesus will keep you secure no matter what. No matter how terrifying of a situation you might encounter, no matter how scary the world gets, you are protected in Jesus. Remember, he said that no one will take a single sheep away from him. He keeps his own, and there is no one who can take him away. The third promise is that for those who belong to Jesus, you have secure hope forever. Look at verses 12 and 13. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus says he will make them a pillar in the temple of his God. What that means is that they have a place in God's kingdom. Again, they belong. And of course, the beauty of that is tied to the, the explanatory phrase that's connected to it. Never again will they leave it. Now, the church in Philadelphia knows what it means to feel weak and insecure. They appear to be this tiny little community that's oppressed. And the city of Philadelphia knows what it means to feel insecure too. 
The city of Philadelphia is located in an earthquake-prone area. In fact, they have the memory in their not-too-distant future of a major earthquake. An earthquake that forced the whole city to evacuate, to go outside the city as the city was toppled and as aftershocks kept coming and causing a whole sense of uneasiness and insecurity. So to such an insecure church in such an insecure city, Jesus promises something that's absolutely secure. You have a permanent place in God's kingdom, a place that will never be taken away. And alongside this is the promise that you will be marked as God's own. He says, I will write the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, my new name on you. This, this threefold name is all making the same point, saying that you are marked as God's own. You belong in his kingdom where God lives with his people. So if you belong to Jesus, if you're one of those who are victorious, who are marked as his, then you are marked as God's child forever. So three great promises for those who belong to Jesus. You belong, no matter what anyone else says, if you belong to him. You are protected in Jesus no matter what happens. And you are have a secure hope that no one can ever take away from you. These promises are good news to a church that's headed out to follow hard after God's call for us. Because this is really what we need to know. Because listen, we're not strong. We don't have all the answers on our own. Here's the bottom line. Either God works in power to grow his kingdom, or the whole thing is a loss. The good news from this message is is that we don't have to be strong. Like this weak little church in Philadelphia, what matters most is that we belong to Jesus and hold fast to him. See, the most important truth about the church in Philadelphia is that Jesus has opened the door to them and that they are clinging to him, that they belong to Jesus, the only one whose opinion really matters. The least important thing is that they're weak. That they are weak, is, is, it just doesn't matter. It's inconsequential because Jesus has opened the way for them. He's opened the door and no one can shut it. And that's true for us too. If you've put your faith in Jesus, the most important thing that can be said about you is not your level of strength. The most important thing that can be said about you is that you belong to Jesus. You are his. Now, you might be sitting here thinking that you have nothing to offer You doubt that God could ever use you for anything. So we talk about our mission to make more and stronger disciples of Jesus. And you think, well, I'm not a strong disciple of Jesus. And I don't think I can make more disciples of Jesus either. You certainly don't feel strong. And yet strong here is not defined by personal strength or being really clever or really outgoing, having lots of connections, things like that. A strong disciple of Jesus is a weak person who relies on Jesus. So a stronger disciple of Jesus is a person who relies on Jesus more. I don't know about you, but this passage is a great encouragement to me because it reminds me that the only strength that really matters is God's strength. That's the only strength that ultimately matters. It's God's own strength. It doesn't matter what I bring to the table God doesn't need my skills or my abilities. Back in the Old Testament, there's a story about God speaking through a donkey. He's done it in the past. He can do it again. He doesn't need my strengths. He doesn't need my voice. And yet he invites us to participate in this incredible work that he's doing. He wants our hearts. 
And he consistently works through weak people like you and me. I want you to know that you have a part in this. If you're a Christian, if you belong to Jesus, you have a part in this. What matters most is that you belong to him. And as you hold fast to Jesus, you might not look strong, but the truth is that he has called you to be part of his great work. If you're a Christian, he has called you to be part of his church, making disciples. I put a map up a couple weeks ago, and it shows the potential for impact that that our church has when each of us is taking up this everyday gospel mission together. These little yellow stars are are just a few of the homes of people represented in our church, and this is just within the the confines of of the city of Ludington, so I know we have a lot of people in the outskirts. We have a lot more stars if we did the whole uh, county. But you might see your little star up here on the board and think, well, my little yellow dot doesn't really count. Because I don't really have anything to bring. But if you belong to Jesus, that's really all that matters. See, if you belong to Jesus, then these great promises are yours. These promises that you truly have a place in God's kingdom, that you are protected no matter what, that you have a secure hope for eternity. Those promises are yours, and as God speaks them to your heart, those are the promises of the gospel, what God has done in Jesus to save you, to save sinners. And as that gospel message speaks into your heart, as God uses the power of the Holy Spirit to awaken your hearts and awaken your minds, he's giving you the message that brings life. He's giving you, in other words, your message. The message that you bring to your neighbors is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God in Jesus saves sinners. It's not your strength. It's God's strength. It's not your skill that has power, your ability to connect with people that has power. It is God's spirit taking the message of the gospel and speaking it through his people. What this means is that we are free to go all in without fear of being ashamed, without fear of failure, because we belong to Jesus, and that's ultimately all that matters. We have heard this message, and so we then are free to to go all in proclaiming that message because we belong to the only one whose opinion really matters, and we are free to take this message of life to others. See, if you have heard this gospel message, you have the message of life, the the message that's going to cause more little yellow dots to come up all over that map as people hear the gospel proclaimed and respond in faith to Jesus Christ. What we're talking about here is is building a community to reach the community. It's us becoming a community of stronger disciples of Jesus. In other words, people who rely on Jesus more and so that we can go out into the community with the message of the gospel and our everyday lives to make more disciples of Jesus Christ. I want to leave you with a little picture of what that looks like. Uh, we don't have aspen trees here that I'm aware of. Maybe in the UP, I'm not really sure, but they're more of a, of a thing for out, out west. And it, the thing is about aspen trees is they're not very impressive. Right? I mean, we've got these big oak trees around here, and out, out west they've got sequoias and redwoods and all these things. But, you know, aspen trees, maybe a mature one's only about this big around. It's, it's not an impressive tree. But actually, aspens aren't single trees. They're they're part of a colony. It's all the root system connecting all these trees together. So when you're seeing a single aspen, you're not going to see it by itself. You're going to see several aspen trees together. It's an aspen grove. And in fact, an aspen colony can be among the largest living things in the whole world. And some of the longest living, too. The National Park Service estimates that one of these ones out in in, uh, Utah, I think, is is called Pando. And they estimate it at 80,000 years old. Incredible age. 
But here's the cool thing about an aspen colony. Oak trees, you know, they send out an acorn, and the acorn's kind of out on its own to kind of grow up, and hopefully it grows, and maybe it doesn't, but you see squirrels with them, and, and you think there are a lot of acorns that drop that never become oak trees. But that's how an oak tree has new growth. That's where new oak trees come from, right? An acorn sprouts, and then you get an oak tree eventually. But aspen trees, when they are going to grow, they grow by sending out shoots and suckers from the root branch. So from that whole root system within the colony, it's sending out little wisps here and there. And so when a little aspen tree pops up out of the ground, it's already connected to this huge, massive aspen trees that are already there. So again, each aspen tree is not very impressive on its own, but all together as the colony, it's a truly impressive thing. So new growth, new growth happens when this larger group is reaching out. When you see those little bits of new life, those are the new trees that are going to replace the older ones that kind of die off over time. And that's what brings the longevity to an aspen thing. So because of this connected organic growth, aspen colonies are able to last for, for thousands of years, and they're incredibly resilient. Aspen groves can actually withstand a forest fire, one of the few trees that actually can withstand a forest fire, because they've got that connected root system secure, and their growth is going out by shoots. To me, that's a beautiful picture of the potential of what we're talking about here, the potential of of building a community to go out and to reach the community. It's giving new life to our church by engaging the mission that God has given us. Our small groups this far are gathering together around that mission of making more disciples because that's what we want to see. We want our church to be a mirror of that aspen grove, always sending out new shoots for new growth so that when those of us uh, who have been in church for a while eventually kind of grow old and, and die off their new shoots to replace that, we want to be a church that's building the next generation and the next generation more and more disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to be growing stronger together with an eye on mission always because we want to be reaching more and more people in our community with the gospel. And when that happens through intentional, authentic relationships that are bringing the gospel in everyday life, then those who come to put their faith in Jesus, who hear the gospel and respond in faith, are already more naturally connected into that community, into that root system, where they're able to grow stronger in a community, in a body of believers, and learn how to live their whole life in obedience to Jesus. What we learn from this message of the church in Philadelphia is that that your strength doesn't matter, ultimately. Ultimately, your strength or or your level of, of feeling of strength, whether you feel like you're strong or whether you're weak, that's not the most important thing. The most important truth is that Jesus has opened a door for you. That's the most important truth. He has opened the door to you to receive his salvation, for you to belong to God's kingdom. The beautiful promises that are made to the church in Philadelphia are promises to all who will hear Jesus' call. If you want a place where you truly belong, no matter what anyone else says, if you want to have a feeling of protection beyond anything else, if you want to have a place where you are eternally secure, Jesus has opened the door for you and offered you life. Maybe you're here and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. You don't even maybe know what that looks like. I want to challenge you to see that this is the message of life. Maybe this doesn't sound right to you, but I challenge you to to pick up a Bible. Start reading it. Pick up the Gospel of Mark. It's a pretty short book in the Bible. Pick up the Gospel of Mark and find out who Jesus is. 
What does it mean to follow Jesus? Or maybe you're a new believer and you don't know yet what it means to, to be a, a follower of Jesus. It's all new to you. You're, you're maybe a little bit excited, maybe a little bit confused. But again, I, I encourage you to pick up the Bible and start reading. Start talking to some other Christians and find out, well, what is this all about? Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you've kind of stagnated a little bit. You're, you're pretty comfortable to just kind of hang out in church and, and hang out with other Christians. For you too, the challenge is, why are you here? What does it mean to really be a disciple of Jesus Christ? The charge for all of us is the charge that Jesus gives. It's hold fast to him. The charge is to hold fast to Jesus because belonging to him is the most important thing in the world. Please pray with me. God, we thank you for your great work through your Son. We thank you for the promises that are found for those who belong to him. And we thank you most of all for the open door that you have included, that you have offered us a way to belong to you, to be your child. We could have never done that on our own. There's no chance, there's no way that we could ever have found a way to be your child, to try to do enough good things to to belong to you or to somehow make the ledger right. We are sinners. We are weak. And yet that ultimately doesn't matter because in your Son, you have offered us a chance to truly belong. God, in your grace, Make us belong to your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.